Blue Wire. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another edition of The Rebuild. I'm Henry Ettinger, going solo today for a quick one. Jordan's on vacation. He's out probably on a golf course right about now, so didn't want to interrupt that to get him on this episode. And as I was thinking about what I wanted to talk about today, just, you know, rolling solo for a few minutes. We're not going to go too long here. I was I was poking around... I got to say, it, it's a real low point in the offseason as far as storylines out there. The big thing everybody was talking about was the the big sign with the reveal date on it for the Browns and, and Browns uniforms. I got to say, I love Browns fans, but there is just there is not a topic I could care less about than uniforms. I don't really get that excited about it. I feel like, and, and this really goes for all NFL fans. I feel like this happens with my my friends who are fans of other teams too. Their teams will drop new uniforms and they'll you know send out a picture uh, to all of us. You know, what do you think? What do you think? I don't know. I just don't get that excited. I don't really care. It's not that big a deal to me. I, I guess what color the Browns uniforms are. I know there's a lot of talk about oh, bring the all orange uniforms back. That'd be fun. And it's just not something I really pay a whole lot of attention to. So we're going to go in a different direction. We're not talking uniforms. We're not talking some of the other kind of weird and crazy topics that I've seen out there this last week or two with a, a dead news period. So instead, I decided to just think about you know five storylines that I feel like have been under-discussed so far throughout this, this offseason season. For the Browns. And the place I want to start is actually one where there was a slight amount of news this week. And that's with the extension of Wyatt Teller. I think he's in a really interesting situation. And not a lot of people have talked about Teller's extension. Because admittedly, there are some potential extensions for uh, some other high-profile Browns, right? You've got Baker Mayfield's extension, of course, which... We've talked about a ton on the show, and we will continue to talk about a lot more, actually, over the next couple of weeks. I've got, actually, a, a draft analyst who loved Baker Mayfield coming out of school who also has done some pieces on him more recently that's going to come on the show, and some Jordan and I will talk about the extension. So, you know, there's going to be that focus for sure when it's your quarterback. There's also the Nick Chubb and Denzel Ward extensions, which have some interesting aspects to them, right? Nick Chubb, one of the best running backs in the league, but he's a running back. And we all know, you know how that position has been de-emphasized by certain parties, uh, especially in the analytical crowd o- over the last several years. And also we've seen it in NFL contracts too. So there's an interesting dynamic there. There's Denzel Ward. He's you know, had some health problems. How much money do you give him as a corner, you know, in a potential extension? And then there's Teller. And he's a fascinating player because he had an unbelievable year last year. I don't think anybody could really argue otherwise. And there's the whole thing about how he was, you know, the top rated PFF offensive lineman for, you know, most of the year and and top rated guard and all that. And so that's all well and good. And PFF is a very reliable source as far as offensive line play, but 
It's not the only source. And if you look at a bunch of different metrics, he was really, really solid. You know, only committed five penalties all year, despite this, you know, his mashing physical style. And he was just a monster in the run game, an absolute monster. I saw this really interesting tweet. Uh, I think the guy's name, the Elliot Christ, was the guy that tweeted it out. Yeah, Teller missed a few games last year with the calf injury. And in games with Wyatt Teller, the Browns averaged 5.06 yards per carry and 177 rushing yards per game. In games without Teller, 3.58 yards per carry and 81.8 rushing yards per game. So you're looking at almost 100 yards difference per game in rushing yards and almost 1.5 yards per carry. Because they run so often behind Teller, it's not surprising that there would be such a big difference in those numbers. And he was incredible. Absolutely incredible. That's how you earn that top grade from a source like PFF. But what makes Teller interesting, I think, is it's not like he's been a stud his entire career. You know, he's only been in the league 30 years, but his PFF grades his first couple of years weren't that great. And I think, you know, Browns fans are thinking back to two years ago, Teller was solid. He was fine, but he wasn't the beast that he was this last season. He really had a breakout, breakout year in an almost an unprecedented way this last season. So he's got a lot on the line here, I think. You know, if he chooses not to extend and has, a, you know, not quite the season he did last year, he could be leaving some money on the table. If you're the Browns, do you pay him as a premier offensive guard? He was named in that list we were talking about a few weeks ago as one of the top 100 players in the NFL, as one of the best handful of guards in the league so it's a little bit risky you know to commit to a guy like that who's only done it for one season now he's young you would expect he can continue to do that but it's not a guarantee so it doesn't feel like people are talking about that as one of the difficult extension decisions that the browns have to make and maybe that's just because it's going to be tough to reach an agreement Teller probably thinks, hey, I'm going to play at least as good as I did last year, if not better, you know, given how young I am, given the trajectory I'm on. And so he's probably thinking he deserves that top of the line card money. The Browns are probably thinking, hey, we'd love to get him at a discount. We, you know, or at least see if we're going to pay him at the top of the line money, see that for two years in a row. So it could be tough to reach an agreement, but it's just something I have my eye on that I feel like, uh, it overall has not really been discussed as, as part of the offseason and part of the you know various Browns extensions that are in the market. And speaking of offensive line, that leads me into my, my second under-discussed storyline. And that's the, you know, the play of Jed Wills last season and the potential for a second-year leap with him. And I, you know, start things off, I think you got to look back. How, how was he as a rookie? And I think he was solid. Jed, Jed Wills really, to me, delivered on what the Browns needed. Two years ago, the tackle play was just impossible to watch. It was frustrating. It was uh, debilitating to the offense so many times. And I think a large reason 
why Baker Mayfield struggled two years ago and, you know, the whole offense I, yeah, is, I don't think Freddie Kitchens was the right man for the job, but it's also hard to call plays when an offensive line can't protect anybody. And the upgrade there with Wills, he just came in and was immediately solid. Right from the jump, he was a clean pass protector. He only allowed four sacks his rookie year, only 11 penalties, which was tied for best in the league uh, among the tackle position. So he was a, a polished prospect, particularly in the pass game. That's where he stood out. And you can see that you know, he only allowed 20 pressures, uh, which was the sixth lowest mark among the left tackles who played a, you know, a, a minimum of 750 snaps. So he didn't allow pressures. He didn't allow sacks. And while doing that, he didn't commit penalties. And you think back to that 2020 draft, the Browns had a couple of different options there, right? There were a bunch of tackles at the top of that draft. Unlike, you know, this past one, there were a couple different guys that, you know, teams were talking about. Andrew Thomas went first ahead of the Browns uh, to the Giants, and he ended up being the worst one. And he really struggled. I've had the guys from Big Blue Banter on before, the, the Giants guys, when we were talking uh, when the Browns and Giants were playing last year in primetime. And Andrew Thomas just had a disappointing rookie year for sure. So the Browns dodged a bullet on that one. But, you know, Tristan Warf's got a lot of publicity and deservedly so as being part of the Bucks run. Uh, I don't think he was tested quite as much as Jed Wills did, but he did have the lowest, you know, uh, pressure rate of, of any of those guys. And then Wills was second. 3.8% pressure rate that was second among those, you know, the five first round tackles taken in, in last year's draft. So if you were giving the Browns, uh, you know, rush or actively going back and giving a grade on that pick, you got to feel pretty great about it. I, you know, Worfs looks good too, but he's, you know, he's not playing left tackle. So it, Will's coming in, solving the issue, looking like a, a cornerstone player is a great start. But that's what I'm saying is that's a great start. Keep in mind, Jed Wills moved from right tackle to left tackle last year without a really normal offseason. You know, he was the right tackle at Alabama when, when Tua was a lefty. So he was the blind side tackle, sure. But he moved across the line and played every snap at left tackle. So I do think, you know, that he had a great year. I think he could be even better. This year, And if he's even better, uh, I think this offensive line only goes up a level if they're healthy. Because he was, you know, to call him the weakest link, you know, sounds demeaning. But that's only in comparison to the rest of the guys because, you know, Conklin's a monster. Both guards were, were you know, uh, incredible last year. Top five at their position, center position. So uh, he's got some areas where he can improve, especially in the run blocking game where I think he could even go to another level. And he doesn't seem like he's getting the publicity this offseason. I'm curious to see uh, yeah, how he develops in year two with a great offensive line coach, uh, you know, working under Bill Callahan and a second season where he's going to have a more full offseason. Does he even ratchet up the play a little bit more and become one of the best left tackles in the league? I think that's a sneaky storyline to watch for the Browns this season. All right, enough of the offensive line talk. Let's get to the more exciting positions, the skill positions. And for me, 
the skill position player that's not being talked enough for the Browns is Donovan Peoples-Jones. I don't know if it's just me, but I, I, I was shocked at what he showed last year. At Michigan, at, you know, Ohio State fans, Big Ten fans will know, you know, the, the situation Peoples-Jones was in wasn't great. And I think that's part of the reason he fell to being such a low draft pick. But also, it, there wasn't a lot of tape where you were like, okay, this guy's going to be a stud for sure. And now all of a sudden, I think pe- there are some people that I really trust, particularly in the fantasy space, who are whispering about Donovan Peoples-Jones like, hey, are we sure he's not going to push Rashard Higgins for the number three spot? And... I like Higgins. I think Higgins also had a really solid year last year. And despite not being the flashiest athlete, he finds a way to get open. He has great chemistry with Baker Mayfield. But I thought on the limited targets that Peoples Jones got, which I, I think I saw, you know, I have here, he had 16 catches on 23 targets. So I he didn't get a lot of run. But on those targets in the games, I thought he showed flashes of a guy that could do a lot more, that could be a lot more, that could take on a bigger role. So I'm curious to see if he pushes Rashard Higgins. Mary Kay Cabot reported he had a great mini camp. Of course, you can't read too much into that, but that second-year leap could be in play for him too. And to me, what's really intriguing about it is that I think he could provide a different dimension from the other receivers on this team because of his size. It, he's 6'2", but he ran a 4'4", 8'40". He's got some speed, but he's got a big frame. You know, 6'2", 220 type guy that, that I think could be a nice compliment. You know, if you're thinking about constructing a receiver core where, where you've got some guys with different strengths, I think a guy like that that, you know, really – doesn't allow you to to play maybe a small corner on him as easily uh, would be a nice compliment to Landry, to Odell Beckham, to the tight ends in, in cert- certain matchups. Having a guy with that size and versatility, I think, could come into play for this team. And so maybe it's matchup dependent as well, where, okay, he doesn't beat out Higgins for the number three spot, but you get in a situation where he's going to, you know, putting him on the field is going to give you a good matchup for Baker Mayfield to go to, or, you know, they're going to have to play somebody on Donovan Peoples-Jones that maybe gives Odell Beckham Jr. an edge on the other side of the field. Maybe frees up Higgins or Landry a little bit more. I think that's a real possibility for Donovan Peoples-Jones this year. And again, I feel like he's being under talked about just because, there's so many other storylines at play with this receiving core, right? A, you know, Odo Beckham's got to, you know, recover from this ACL injury. There's the, you know, Landry's contract and age and all of that, which I, is a, a topic for another time, but you understand why those discussions are being had. Higgins was a free agent. So people's Jones has just been plodding along, but I think, I think there's a breakout potential for him as well. Another uh, thing that's caught my attention, and this one's a little bit, uh, it's not, I don't think it's hugely important. It's just the the battle at the end of the, the linebacker depth chart, I do think is something to keep in mind here. The Browns are likely going to have to move off somebody here. The, uh, you know, they've just got a deep roster. 
and they're going to have to move off somebody. And to me, it comes down to Malcolm Smith, Mac Wilson, and, and Tony Fields, the, the second as well, you know, the, the draft pick out of West Virginia. And this is where the philosophy of this Browns front office will be interesting. Mac Wilson has struggled in his two years with the Browns, particularly last year. I, the run defense, he had 26 solo tackles last year and nine missed tackles. That is not a good ratio, in case you're wondering. The tackling was really, really tough at, at times for Mac Wilson. That's a problem for, for a linebacker. There's no doubt. However, that being said, he's only two years in. The guy came from a high pedigree at Alabama and yeah, has shown flashes in terms of his athleticism. But for me, the play just hasn't been there. I thought, you know, some Browns fans were pretty excited about his rookie year. I thought I was a little bit more lukewarm on that. And after seeing what he did last year, I would be, you know, okay with the Browns moving on from Mac Wilson. However, the case for him is that, hey, there could still be some development there. There were reports that he was injured last season, and that contributed to some of the issues that he was having. So maybe, you know, there's some unrealized potential in Mac Wilson that you probably don't have in the guy he's probably most directly competing with, which is Malcolm Smith. Malcolm Smith is pretty much a, you know, a, a, an entirely different player from Mac Wilson. He does one thing super well and he always has done it super well and that's cover malcolm smith can cover very very well for a linebacker and that is a valuable skill in the nfl no doubt that is a very very valuable skill but if you go look at the rest of his career the run defense is pretty average the tackling is pretty average you know, last year, I wouldn't say he was an incredible stopper by any means in, in the run game at, at, at all, really, but he was good in coverage. And so do you take that guy who's kind of a little bit more of a specialist, you know, and he does something that's a highly valuable skill. You're probably, you know, at, at this point in Malcolm Smith's career, you're probably not getting a ton out of him, right? Like uh, at, in terms of extra potential, you know what he is. He's been around forever. I think this is going to be his 10th season in the league. So there's not a lot of extra juice left to squeeze, but his one value, you know, his one valuable skill in, in pass coverage could be really useful for you as a Browns team. When you look at some of the teams are going to have to go against in, in the AFC. So do you prioritize that or do you prioritize maybe the potential of a guy like Mac Wilson, and that'll be an, uh, a dynamic that, that the Browns will have to feel out in training camp. And a lot of it's going to come down to, Hey, is Mac Wilson showing some improvement? Was he really hurt last year? And is that why the, the level of play was so bad? Why the tackling was so bad? Because if it is, you know, if there's an excuse there and then you see a, 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 a year three leap, now he has, you know, maybe an argument to stay on the team over a guy like Malcolm Smith. And then there's Tony Fields, the second, who I think is destined for the practice squad. He's a special teamer, uh, a really good one, is at least what I've been told uh, from, you know, talking to some people. Uh, and so that's the one thing to keep in mind with him is 
there was a feeling that he could make the roster or, you know, as I, as I said, maybe be on the practice squad because he does have those special team skills. And that's where, Mac, you know, Mac Wilson could get into hot waters. Hey, you know, all of a sudden Tony Fields is a better special teams guy. So he gets the nod for something like that. But I don't think Tony Fields is really going to compete for uh, lots of playing time, lots of snaps. Uh, I think he'll be a depth piece. It's just something to keep an eye on is because he has those special team skills that may land him a spot surprisingly higher than, than people think because he's going to be a, a rotational player. Anyway, I would be very, very surprised if, if he makes big moves in camp and really elevates to a place where he's getting tons of snaps. So that's just a, a, a quick aside on him. Finally, the, the, the last topic, this is more of a fun one as far as under discussed storylines. And it's, you know, it's being discussed a little bit more now, but, it's more of a general NFL topic, and that's just the impact of this name, image, and likeness stuff going on in college sports and college football, and that's potential impact on the NFL. This is really just an opportunity for me to, to voice my thoughts on it because I feel like that's been the most interesting thing to, to happen these last couple days. And as far as its impact on the NFL, first of all, I, I think it's great that these college kids can monetize, you know, and for all the doom and gloom that people talked about, they allowed the kids to monetize. The world didn't burn down the next day, believe it or not. Actually, everything went on just fine. You know, Bo Nix did a sweet tea deal, and the Auburn football program didn't crumble overnight, actually. It, it was just fine. And I think for the most part, this is going to be fine. Sure, there's going to be, uh, you know, some bumps in the road, like there is with the current system, too. But for the most part, I think this is a good thing for the college kids. As far as the NFL, it it's not going to have a huge impact because all the top guys are going to be the top guys, right? Like Baker Mayfield's, your Miles Garrett's, your Denzel Ward's, all those guys are coming out. Uh, uh, you know, they're going to come out to the draft as they normally would. They're going to make millions of dollars. But, you know, hopefully they'll be able to make some money while they're still in college in case you know they get hurt or something like that. But what I really think is going to be the the one impact of it is kind of on those mid-round picks, especially of quarterbacks and, and some skill players that that could make a lot of money in college if they stay in college, maybe more so than they would make as a fourth-round draft pick, as a fifth-round pick. So as I was trying to think of names, it was like Sam Enlinger at Texas. Like that guy is probably going to make a lot of money as the Texas quarterback or could make a lot of money as this develops in the next, you know, three to five years, the next Sam Ellinger. So does he, you know, is, is it worth it for him to come out? Or a guy like Jake Fromm, who's the quarterback at Georgia. You know, Georgia's winning tons of games. They're in the SEC championship. Jake Fromm's probably making less money as a fifth round draft pick than he is as the quarterback for Georgia. So is it worth it for those guys to come out early? You know, once their career is over, there'll be the opportunity for them to, to come out to the NFL. Uh, Chuba Hubbard, the Oklahoma State running back, was another one that, that that came to mind. These guys who they just might not come out as early, and how that might have an effect on, yeah, how they're drafted. You know, there's more tape on them, but they also. You know, by not coming out early, you know, maybe they dominate college football more 
maybe that boosts their stock. You know, if you're 23 years old playing against 19 and 20 year olds, that helps you, you know, get more stats. But also that means your development will be further along before you get to the NFL. So those were just the things I was, I was kicking around in my head as potential impacts of this. And then you also think about, you know, the, some of the undrafted guys, the practice squad guys, you know, will as many people declare for the NFL draft? You know, there's so many, you know, everybody always talks about the drafted guys and the undrafted uh, folks have gotten some more attention recently, but there are tons of players who declare for the draft every year and go undrafted. Now, you know, will they consider staying in school for another year? Because they might actually make more money in school in addition to getting that degree. Uh, you know, there have been a couple of Ohio State kind of, re, you know, receiver skill position guys, et cetera, that have come out early and not really gone where they thought they were going to go. And I, I just wonder about those guys. You know, will they come back to school or consider not leaving uh, and what impact that could have? Because a shocking amount of the NFL is made up of undrafted players, 48%, something crazy high like that. But will those will there be as many of those guys out there if staying in school for another year or two is more beneficial to them monetarily i don't know i don't have all the answers it's just something that's kicking around in my head as this happened and it happened um you know over the last week or so it's affecting you know blue wire of course we're starting to look at athletes and brands are starting to come to us hey you know could so-and-so be interested in, in creating content? It, it, it's a whole new world. I'm excited for it. I like change. I like to embrace new things when they, when they come up. So I'm curious to see what the impact is going to be on the NFL. It's probably minimal. It's probably not much. But it's just uh, percolating in the back of my head. And, and for Browns fans out there who are, are thinking about it uh, as well, I just wanted to get my, my you know two cents. That'll do it for this episode of The Rebuild. As I said, short and sweet on this one, just some under-discussed storylines. We've got plenty more coming. Jordan's going to be back from vacation. As, as I mentioned, we're going to have John Vogel on to talk about Baker Mayfield's last season with Kevin Stefanski. we got to talk about his extension. Then before you know it, training camp will be here. So until next time, just two words for you. Go Browns.